be taking the next two weeks to break down this chapter, and we'll take the first half tonight, and then next week we will break into the second half of this chapter, and I just wanted to, <clears throat> I know we kind of talked about it as we came in tonight, but I just think it's so cool, I think it's so amazing that a church of a dozen people can band together and put on a luncheon for a staff of 50. Isn't that amazing? And that each one of us played our part, and we each contributed, and, um, and we all, we gave of our finances, we gave of our time. And I, I just keep thinking of this statement that I, I hear this, this pastor in a podcast always say at the, right at the beginning of his, of his thing. And he's talking about people giving money. And, but he talks about the fact that when we receive, that's amazing. We get a blessing from that. But when we give, there's so much, something greater that happens within us when we give and when we, when we sacrificially give of ourselves. And when I imagined, you know, what Mosaic would be like, you know, a couple years ago when Cassie and I really felt like God was leading us and calling us, I always imagined us being a church that would give and give in a way that was beyond what made sense. It doesn't make sense for a church of 12 people to, to invest that sort of resources and time into something like that. Uh, you know, um, logic says you should start with something smaller or do something here or there. And we've done some things, but I just think how amazing it is that we that God placed it on our heart to do that and that we got to be givers. And I think there's something so amazing about that. And I want that to be part of who we become and who we are over the years as this grows and develops. And, you know, as long as it's in this, this living room and wherever it ends up, ends up being in a physical location, I want us to be a church that gives and a church that gives sacrificially. Um, God never designed us to be hoarders of what we have, but instead to give it freely to others. And so I just think that's so cool. And I just want to thank you guys for being a part of that um, and taking your time and resources to put into that. And I just thought it was so fun, those types of things. Um, I've been taught over the years that there's those things in ministry where you have a win, you know, and that really stirs up some really good energy. Well, I think Thursday was a win for us. It was a big win for us. I could see it in our eyes as we left, as we were here in the morning, preparing and serving and, and even just as we came together tonight, I could tell that in us there was, there was a win that happened and there's an excitement that that stirs up when we give and when we bless others and, and in the name of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So I just want to thank you guys for that. And tonight, um, this is a, a, a particularly, um, I think, challenging passage of scripture. Um, it's just, it's a tough one. And I was, uh, I was sitting right where Brooke was, and Cassie came home, I think, on Tuesday night from your guys' Bible study, and I was just reading, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, Cass, I have no idea where I want to go with this passage. Um, every which way, there's landmines, and so, um, but I, I think what my heart is for tonight is for us to study and try to figure this thing out together, um, and really what the heck Paul's talking about um, and I think that that's kind of the approach with Scripture. A lot of times for me, it's like, oh my gosh, I read these passages in Jeremiah or in Leviticus, right? These really hard sections of Scripture. And you're like, God, what? Why is this even in here? Like, what are you trying to talk to us about? And I think um, something that Cassie and I really feel like is on our heart is that um, we don't have all the answers. Like, we don't have some corner market on what God is saying. We don't understand all of Scripture. Um, you know, we... <laughs> We're just trying to figure it out like everybody else, and um, I hope that you guys are okay with the fact that we don't have all the answers, and that tonight 
I'm not going to leave you with something that's, um, this is exactly what God is saying to us sort of message. It's not one of those. This is really just kind of bobbing and weaving through this passage and really seeing, you know, God, what are you saying to us in the midst of, of some really kind of challenging things? And, and so I hope that um, it's okay that we kind of interpret and understand it together. Because I do think um, that this can be a passage where, where traditionally you can kind of take one of two routes. Um, either you can, can really be solid about this and you can just be like, okay, this is exactly how we're supposed to live our lives. Let's just live it exactly like that, right? It's just kind of this very traditional sort of uh, focus. Or you, can, or you can just chalk it all up to culture and just say, oh, this is all cultural. Let's just throw it out. Um, that was just 2,000 years ago, and so they just they lived differently. And, and uh, let's just chalk it all up to culture and just kind of throw this passage out and let's just kind of move on to the next thing, right? Um, we don't live like that anymore. And I think that there's some sort of middle road in here. I think in Scripture there's always a tension um, that exists between what was culturally relevant at that time and, and what is God saying to us today. And so that's kind of where we're going to kind of shoot towards the middle um, and just see what God says to us. And um, I always think that God is up to more um, than what's right on the surface of things. And we're going to kind of dig into the, the depths of, of the passage tonight and kind of define some things. And um, so, yeah, like I said, this is not one of those, this is what the Lord says moments. Um, but I can promise um, that as a church and a community that we're going to chew on this together and just see what God says to us. And so I hope that you're okay with that, that we can all kind of come tonight with humility and, and reliance on Jesus and just, God, what do you, what do you want to do in us? What do you want to accomplish in us? Even as we were praying as a, as a team um, tonight, you know, before some of you guys got here, I just loved what Chuck prayed that, God, thank you for what you're forming us into. And I think that's kind of the approach that we're going to take tonight. God, what are you forming us into as a part of this passage? So we're just going to jump right in and, and just read the whole thing in one chunk tonight. And we are reading it out of the New Living Translation. So it says, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So I am glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. A man dishonors his head if he covers it while he is praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without covering a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should, be cut, she should cut off all of her hair. But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. A man should not wear anything on his head while worshiping. For a man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. And a woman reflects man's glory. For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman made for man. For this reason, and because angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show that she is under authority. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves... Is it right for a woman to pray in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious, obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? Isn't, it, isn't the long hair a woman's pride and joy? For it has, given, has been given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue with this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. So Paul <laughs> opens with this passage, um, or closes with the previous passage. Theologians can't really decide on this idea that, um, where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
Some people are not sure, does this go with chapter 10? Does this go with chapter 11? I don't think it really matters which chapter it goes with. Um, but we're going to kind of start there tonight. Um, I love that another translation says about this little section. It says, live as you see me live. Right? So there's this kind of seeing as, as Paul lives as, a, as the pastor, as the apostle, as the leader of this church, the one who's their spiritual father, their, their covering, their... Um, the one who cares for them and teaches them and scolds them, right? And um, there's this idea of living as, as Paul lived. Um, and this statement, though powerfully clear and brilliant, can cause um, one to question Paul's humanity and godliness, right? Um, how can a man besides Jesus tell us to follow his sinful and broken example of living, right? Um, aren't we supposed to simply follow Jesus' example? Isn't he the only perfect lover and friend, right? So we can kind of get this idea in our head and and it's truthful, right, that, that Paul is just a guy like anybody else. He even calls himself at one point the chief of all sinners, right? But there's something that happens here where he says, imitate me or live as I live, right? So as I follow Christ, you should follow me. And there's just something so cool about this, I think, also, um, that it's totally true that Jesus is the one and only one who got it right. He's the only one who's fulfilled the law to the fullest extent. He's the only one who's never sinned. He's the only one who's never fallen or, or had been broken. Um, he's the perfect example of how to live as a Christian in an unchristian world. But the problem for me and the problem for the Corinthians is that Jesus is God, right? He was, had the divine nature of God from the beginning. He is part of the Trinity. He's the first and the last. He's part of the Godhead. So like that, there's just, and he was human, but there's just something like, how can I possibly be Jesus, right? There's like this kind of disconnect. Well, he was God, Right? Like, and so sometimes when we talk about following Jesus, it's, it just seems like it's so impossible because, like, he, he is God. Like, how can we possibly follow God? And so I think there's just something so cool about the fact that, that Jesus is kind of a tough act to follow. Um, but when I look at Paul um, as a normal guy or kind of abnormal in some ways, he loves Jesus with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that he is a fully human example of how to follow Jesus. Right? Through his brokenness, through his mistakes, through his pain. I mean, you see in a lot of even his letters, the times where he's just crying out like, oh my gosh, this is pretty rough. Like, man, can you guys, there's one point where he just says, I'm getting older. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. Can you just send me my books? Like, just kind of these very like raw, like human moments that Paul has. And um, even though he isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, um, and like I said, he calls himself the greatest of sinners, um, he was transformed by the love of Jesus and that he had given everything to follow God. And including at the end of his life, he, he gives his life, his, his physical body he gives um, as a sacrifice um, to follow Jesus. And so uh, it's nice, at least for me, to have someone who knows the struggle of being fully human um, without the divine powers that Jesus had, um, that I can model my life and learn things after. I think that's kind of cool um, in Paul and, and in others. And with that being said, um, I also love what the commentator Matthew Henry says. He says, we should follow no leader further than he follows Christ, which I think is so cool. So articulately laid out that, that not just with Paul, but with any pastor or leader in our lives, any mentor in our lives, um, these, these people can only take us as far as they're following Christ, as they're following Jesus, right? And so God places people in our paths who will love us and encourage us and teach us. And help us mold us into the image of Jesus, which is really what Paul is trying to do in this letter to the Corinthians. He's trying to help them become more like Christ. Um, and, and Paul, as their, their pastor and their spiritual father, 
cared for their needs. He taught them the ways um, of the Lord. He, he poured into them, into their hearts and their minds so they can grow closer to Jesus. But in the midst of that, we always must follow Christ more fully than we follow any man or woman in our lives, right? Because the reality is, is that there's no person in our lives who will be perfect like Jesus also. So there's this, this cool kind of tension, this dichotomy that be, exists in this, this one little phrase that follow me as I follow Christ, right? Like I'm just a human, so like I'm trying to figure it out just like you, so there's some place for us to connect, right? But then there's also this idea that don't follow me any farther than I follow Jesus, right? Because we've even seen over the course of history and and um, not just in church life, but in, in all different types of life, that men and women, they fall, they make mistakes, they do dumb things, they, they commit adultery, they, they uh, steal money from people. I mean, there's all these kind of crazy things that happen in our lives, and, and if, we, if we make our center our mentor, then we're bound to fall, because they're bound to fall in some way, big or small. Um, but with that being said, I think it's also good that we, we have people that we can kind of help us along in this journey, Right? Each one of us has Paul's, kind of that Paul and Timothy relationship that exists where we have people who can speak into our lives and teach us and train us in the ways of the Lord or in other ways um, that can kind of help us along in this journey. So um, that's kind of the first segment there, but let's move on to, to what I consider the good parts or the hard parts of tonight's uh, mm-hmm. passage. So Paul gives this interesting statement. We're just going to jump right in. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Okay, so when I read this passage over and over again, I kept wondering what that word head meant, right? It's like, what? It, people don't use that. Like, I don't say, like, I'm the head of Cassie. Like, that just doesn't work, right? Like, unless you have, like, a head of state, I guess is kind of a thing. But I looked it up, and the word means anything supreme, chief, prominent, master, or lord, right? So that, that just probably digs our hole a little bit deeper here tonight. So... Um, God is the master over every man and man is the master over every woman and uh, God is the master over Christ. So, okay, so that makes it a little bit more challenging. Um, and, and the challenging part about this is we live in a world in, uh, within a church context where men and women are becoming more equal, right? In our dreams for life, our hopes, our responsibilities, and even our failures. Um, the old paternalistic ways of man knows better than woman and the absurdity of that notion is being replaced with a more equal playing field for both sexes. And that happens within the church and outside of the church. And if that wasn't enough, um, within, within the church setting and the culture around us, Foursquare was uh, founded by a woman in the 1920s. She was one of the first women to be on the radio. And so we, we come from a legacy of this, this woman who's passionate, and she was very, if you listen to any of her stuff, she's super preachy. I mean, she just like, she hammers you, she yells at you. It's, it's pretty intense. But she was a woman, and so it's like, how do we reconcile? Okay, Paul's saying this, um, this is the culture that we live in, and, and this is kind of the legacy that our church comes out of, right? Um, and so how do we reconcile this headship with the fact that women really do play prominent roles throughout the New Testament as well? Um, we see that women are right at the center of the day of Pentecost, right? So they were filled with the Holy Spirit along with men in the upper room. They waited for um, for what Jesus promised, and they waited, and they began, they spoke in tongues, and were filled with the Holy Spirit, and so they weren't excluded from that environment, right? Um, they were the first to see, like we talked about um, several months ago, the first to see Jesus alive at the resurrection, right? So Jesus reveals himself first to a group of women, which in that cultural context would have been insane, um, and the women went back and tried to tell the man, and the men didn't even believe them. They just thought they were full of it, right? The only one who believed them was Peter, and Peter's like, I gotta go see this thing, right? 
But Jesus reveals himself to women uh, on the day of his resurrection. And women were a part of many miracles that Jesus performed. I mean, I, I was reading this article about all these different miracles in the Gospels that are happened as a result of, of women being involved. Um, and then you see even in, in chapter 16 of, of 1 Corinthians that um, scholars believe that, that there was a co-pastor that was a woman in, in the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians that Paul talks about. And so with that um, understanding of the heart of this passage, I think that we have to look a little bit further in, in chapter, I mean, in verse 11 and 12, where Paul says, but among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men. Men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman and everything comes from God. And so reading this passage really makes me think about all the places in my life where I've needed a woman to teach me something. Um, I just remember, like, my mom, the first woman in my life, the, the you know, until you get married, the, the most important woman in your life um, is your mom, and she taught me how to, to have manners. I remember, like, get your elbows off the table, you know, I remember those things, or, you know, I would eat, like, so close, like, I would get my face down, she was like, you're not an animal, we eat like normal people, right? Um, she taught me how to work hard and to respect others and to treat others with care. I remember female teachers um, inside and outside the church that taught me to persevere and toughen up. Um, even when I didn't want to learn cursive, I remember teachers that were making me learn cursive and, um, and how to be a solid citizen in this world. Um, and I think of all the times that Cassie's taught me how to have more compassion and um, to see what God sees and how, worship, how to worship Jesus more deeply. Right? And so there's these women in my life where I see, it's like, man, I'm learning all of these things from them, but how do I reconcile that with what Paul is saying to us? And and it also reminds me of all these amazing men in my life where my dad taught me to work on cars and appreciate the things that I have and the salt, how to be a solid husband and a person who thought for himself, how to process my own ideas and thoughts and just not believe what everything was going on around me or the mentors that I've had that taught me how to be a pastor, how to deal with um, tough people, how to know God, how to serve God, right? And so I think when I really think about it and if we think about it, men and women in their deep uniqueness all bring a powerful and wonderful traits and skills to the table when it comes to our communities and our world, right? We have different abilities and talents and things that, that we have, right? And that isn't stereotypical that men are one way and women are another way, but there's just these intricacies about who we are that add something special. And I think that, that what Paul is saying and what God is saying is that we can't simply live without either one of them, right? It isn't that, that um, I love that Paul says that women are not independent of men and men are not independent of women. And so to him and to Christ, we are all interdependent upon each other. We all play our unique parts, both male and female, but more importantly, as human beings made in the image of God. And he talks about that in another passage, that, that our glory really comes from that being created in the image of Christ, right? And neither male or female are more important. Instead, Paul makes it abundantly clear that Christ is the head and the source of all, right? So Christ rules over all of us. And, and we all submit and give our lives to God. That, that no matter how this structure works out in our culture, and, and at that time it very was a paternalistic environment. So it's like men lords over woman, and, and woman submits, and, and these different things that go on. But the reality is that no matter what the culture setting is, Christ is the head over all. He's the one who leads us all. And, um, and that he says that everything comes from God. Right? So all of our uniqueness, our abilities, our talents, they all come from God. And I love that the commentator Eugene Peterson says, Men and women who far too often butt heads with each other submit their heads to the head, which is God, right? So we, we can challenge, we can say, you know, all these different things that go on between men and women, but the reality is that, that Christ is the head of all heads. He is the head of all, right? 
And so um, if we're okay with that, men and women, women are incredibly valuable to each other, to the community of believers and to Christ. And after that, Paul speaks of both men and women contribute to community, even through the gift of prophecy and worship and prayer. So in this passage, he even talks about, um, you know, we're going to get into, you know, head coverings and shaved heads and all that stuff in just a minute. But he says, when you prophesy and you pray and you worship, here's how you should do it. So it's clear that even in this church setting that there are women who are prophesying and praying and worshiping, right? Which are three major cornerstones of, of Christian living, right? And they're doing it in this setting. Um, and so he's clearly not excluding them from that. Um, and like I said before, he, he speaks of women who, who even potentially have co-led a church in that environment, right? And so um, they have great positions of honor inside and outside the church. Even in the Old Testament, you see women who, who rule over um, you know, nations for periods of time. And so I love, again, what Eugene Peterson says, neither man nor woman can go it alone or claim priority. Right? So we can't live without each other. We are interconnected to one another. We can't live this life. I could just imagine, like, man, what if I just grew up and I lived in a world of all men? How crazy would that be? Like, I would have no manners. <laughs> it would just be rough and tumble. The houses would, I mean, just all of these things would just be, it would just be nuts. Like, I would have never learned so many things in my life. And so, um, all right. So maybe you're thinking as we've kind of jumped through that, um, what do you think about this hair and headdresses thing? You know, these, um, these, or veils, actually the word is veils when he says covering your head, right? So let's look at that together. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying, but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head, and it takes, and then he takes it further as we kind of cringe as he says it. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut all of her hair. But since it is shameful for a woman to cut her hair or have a head shaved, she should wear a covering, right? So again, this is one of those wow moments for me, like, oh my gosh, Paul, why are you going to make this so tough, right? So, um, and all of you guys, your hair is just too short tonight. Just, I mean, just kidding. Um, so I think to understand these statements, we need to, we need to keep in context, the culture of the first century church. I think that is really important. So we, we've decided that we're not going to just live this literally, okay? But we're also not going to just throw it out culturally. But I think we, to understand what Paul is saying, we have to understand the culture of this time, right? So we can't write it all off as just faded out of relevancy. We have to um, take this section and figure out how we can apply it to our lives. So the context of the time is, like we've talked about a bunch, that Paul is dealing with the church within a deeply pagan and worldly culture. Okay, prostitution, strange sexual acts, food sacrificed to idols, wild drunken living, spiritual rituals, and idol worship would have been commonplace amongst the city. All of these things that you would think, you know, think Las Vegas, okay, that would have been like Sin City. This would have been a normal everyday life in this city. All of these wild sort of living. There would have been no modesty. There would have been no temperance. There would have been no control of their emotions. This would have been kind of something that would have kind of, uh, kind of swirled around. And remember them that Paul talks about in previous chapters that they should not live like the culture around them, right? They shouldn't just go back to their old sinful ways. They shouldn't just go back to their old idols, right? He encourages them. We've talked about a lot that he encourages them to lean into community and to lean into relationship with Jesus when we go through the hard things in life. Right? And he reminds them gently and often not so gently 
that true joy, freedom, and love can only be found in Christianity. And I love that song, and I've quoted it before, um, that all other ground is sinking sand, right? So that idea that when, when we strive on our own, we try to figure it out on our own, we try to live a life that's worldly and just filled with the things of this world, that it just feels like quicksand. We just keep sinking and sinking and sinking, but the God is the rock. He's the foundation of how we live our lives, right? So with that being said, uh, Paul addresses men wearing head coverings or hats in the church, right? So it was traditionally customary for, in Jewish tradition um, that was no longer needed because of the law for men to wear head coverings while they were worshiping, right? So this would have been part of the law that they would have followed, that men would have worn you know, hats as they um, would have while they were praying or going about their everyday lives, right? But we remember that, that these laws, we had just talked about these. The fact that, that Paul says that you don't need to be circumcised Right to be a follower of Jesus. That was an old Jewish tradition. So he was wanting to go back, and these people were coming to know Jesus when they were in their 30s, and I couldn't even imagine the pain that that would have incurred. But you're a 30-year-old man, you come to know Jesus, and they want you to be circumcised, and Paul's saying, wait, 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 wait. You don't have to do this. That's part of the old way. That's part of the old laws, right? And so these, these head coverings would have been part of those old sections of law as well, right? These things that we can't possibly carry out. That's why Jesus came, because... They had spent 2,000 years trying to follow these laws and there was no way for them to do it. There was no way for them to get to God because they could never possibly be perfect in their own strength. That's why we needed Jesus. And so those head coverings were just one of those other things. It's like, okay, we need to set this aside, just kind of leave it alone. But um, that's one of the things that kind of came up, right? So Paul is saying that we don't need to wear those head coverings. Okay, so now for short hair and covering the head of women. Okay, so this is the more challenging one. So... Paul speaks incredibly forcefully about this point, and I don't think uh, that he's trying to be overly sexist or uh, religious in this way. Instead, I think Paul is speaking to a culture that's struggling with the idea of modesty and temperate living, right? So in that culture, a woman who would have had short hair would have been seen as an adulteress or a prostitute. Nobody would have had short hair in that time if they were not a prostitute or an adulteress. What would happen is if they found a woman in adultery, they would literally go cut her hair so that she would be marked as someone who had sex outside of marriage. And so Paul is, is not saying that, that we can't have short hair, but what he's speaking to is this idea of modesty, right? And so he's speaking to this idea that, um, that, that, that there's honor and respect in this idea of having long hair. And that doesn't mean we have to have long hair today, but in that culture, long hair would have been seen as being modest. It would have been seen as being temperate. It would have been seen as being a godly woman would have had long hair because otherwise she would have been seen as being an adulteress or a prostitute. That was just kind of the time. Or prostitutes would keep their hair short so they could be marked and they could have business and things like that, right? And so, and also this idea of covering your head and your skin, it, that's, that's an age-old thing, right? In this culture and in our culture today, right, don't we have far too much skin showing often, we leave very little things to the imagination, right? So I think the Corinthian church and, and our culture today are very similar in this way. I mean, they just wanted to flaunt and live their lives in a way that was very just sexual and driven by just showing themselves and, um, and that Paul is really telling them to, to just live a life that's moderate and, and temperate and, and something that, that would have been a symbol of being righteous and being fearing God and loving God in that way. And, and so, um, does that sort of make sense in kind of how Paul's talking about cutting hair and 
I don't know that I'm bringing as much clarity as, as um, I mean, this is just a, a challenging chapter, but, um, but I think part of it is just that idea also of just leaving behind the old life. Many of these women would have been, and men them too, they would have been promiscuous in their old lives. It was not uncommon in that culture to have multiple partners sexually or to be getting drunk all the time or to be eating food sacrificed to idols or any of these other numbers of things that they could have been done in this culture that would have been known as being sinful. And Paul's saying, guys, don't go back to that way of living. This is another symbol of how you can look different as a follower of Christ, right? Because isn't that what Paul is talking about and what really God calls us to is to somehow to look different from the world that we live in, right? in a way that is relevant and loves people and cares for people, but also that there's something where people see something different about us and say, well, maybe Christianity is a little bit different than, than these other things over here, right? And so Paul is saying, like, can't we live in a way that's different from others, right? So we should be examples within the church and in the marketplace by the ways that we talk, by the way that we act, and by the way that we dress, right? We should live a life that's different. And so kind of as a little bit of a recap, and we're just going to take some time to discuss and, and dialogue about this, um, as we talked about mentorship, equality, and culture, we should have uh, people in our lives that are molding us on how to follow Christ and more freely and passionately. These um, can be mentors or pastor disciples, we, disciplers. We should have people in our lives that are speaking into us, encouraging us, strengthening us, helping us when we go through the hard things in life. Um, that kind of Paul and Timothy relationship. We should have those in our lives, um, either in a formal setting or an informal setting. We should live lives of interconnectedness between the genders in the church. Both man and women are valuable to the kingdom of God, yet both submit to God, who is the head, right? So we all submit to God, who is the head. And we must live lives that look differently from the world by the ways that we talk, by the ways that we act, and by the way that we dress, right? So these are kind of what I think are Paul's kind of major points. And I know that there's things that I, I didn't talk about in this passage, for sure. Um, and I, I, like I said, I don't... I don't claim to have all the answers or uh, this idea of like, okay, Paul, I don't, I love to go back and just chat with him. Paul, why did you write chapter 11 of First Corinthians? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I don't think that, like what I said, I don't think chalking it up to just culture or just living it straight as he's saying it is the right route. I think with everything in Christianity, there's a tension. There's this tug back and forth and back and forth. It's like a string that just kind of kind of moves the little needle back and forth. And so I think there's a, there's a moderate, there's a middle road here um, that we can kind of go through. But I just, I want to have some time discussion and see what you guys say about it and kind of talk about what Paul's saying and how we can respond and react to it and, and kind of go from there tonight. Is that okay?